I hope, that, uh, I hope that many of you have had the opportunity to come to at least one of the Sunday School Series mornings um, that we've been doing on the history of the Churches of Christ. Um, it hasn't just been informative, it has been eye-opening. It has been such a great class. As um, we take a look at the Churches of Christ, the history and the struggles and the successes of, of what began as a unity movement a movement that desired to break down the boundary lines in Christianity and bring the body of Christ together. And I love how that was the heart behind the whole movement and in many ways has become, once again, uh, the heart today. Um, And that reflects the heart of the first century church that we see in the New Testament. And one of the most beautiful, most powerful ways that Christianity affected the world around it was the way in which it brought people of all social classes and standings together in unity through Christ. And while it was far from perfect, it presented a clear idea of what Christ intended, that we are to practice humility and service with one another, despite our upbringing or what side of the proverbial tracks we lived on. And yet, while Christianity was made up of people of all different classes and professions, the primary believer was the poor, the excluded, the socially rejected. And this is no surprise, for these were the ones Jesus spent most of his time with, the ones that Jesus most spoke about, the ones that he was most adamant that justice and care be provided for. And so when we think of Christianity... It's important that we remember it was primarily a faith for those on the margins. I think of those, you know, um, perhaps those with the tattooed and metal bits all over. Um, Not that that means they're on the margins, but those who were deemed perhaps weak or foolish. Our passage this morning certainly reflects this and in this way speaks to us all. For as strong as we may feel... Or be whatever strong means to you. We are nothing without the power of Christ in our midst. And so this sermon this morning is for the foolish, the weak, the lowly, and the despised. Whether or not this describes you today, it has at one time, either by ourselves, right, or by others. Well, there's good news to be heard, so I encourage you to listen closely. Come on up, Carrie, and let's hear the word of the Lord together. I guess I'm like <laughs> good morning, church. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were and when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble of birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians one twenty six. Thanks, Carrie. 
Now, I confess when I read this scripture, it makes me think that somehow Christians are like Forrest Gump. You're likely familiar with that story of a slow-witted but a kind-hearted man who witnesses and in many cases influences some of the defining moments in the U.S. through the 50s, 1950s and to the 80s. Is this what the Apostle Paul was talking about? When he talks about the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong, where all we can boast about is stupid is, stupid does. Of course not. Paul is clear that God is acting in and through us. Us, the least likely candidates for Christ, let's be honest sometimes, deliberately and for his glory. God delights in using those whom we would never suspect of being able to accomplish anything. Yet the Bible tells a story of God continually doing so. The least likely candidates are used for his purposes. The least likely candidates who seemed least likely to succeed, succeed. And even when it seems like someone hasn't succeeded, God still wins. This is no clearer than when Christ hangs on the cross and the story appears to end with the words, it is finished. What a waste. What a defeat. What a terrible way to finish the story. What foolishness. What weakness. What a lowly Jesus despised and dead, and yet, and yet, and yet somehow the story doesn't end there. The story continues through three words that ring with great joy. He is risen. And it is still either the most wonderful story you've ever heard, or it is the most implausible story that you've ever heard. It was that way 2,000 years ago. It's that way still today. But whether one believes this story or not, what cannot be ignored is the way it can instantly change those who do believe this story. Somehow, this story ignited the faith of men and women in ways never seen before, causing them to live in ways that appeared foolish and weak to the culture around them. Somehow it caused the great philosophers and thinkers of the age to exchange all that they knew for something that would only make them appear lowly and despised in the eyes of others. Somehow it made people willing to declare Jesus as king at a time when it would likely mean their rejection and often their death. And time and time again, then and now, we are living a story that looks weak or foolish to the world. I mean, think about it. It's easy to say to someone, I go to church. You tell somebody that you go to church, the response will likely be pleasant, at the very least, neutral. It's easy to say, I believe in Jesus. There's nothing too crazy about that either. There's lots of evidence that Jesus lived. Many scholars would agree on that, be they religious or secular. But what I have found irks people or makes them squirm makes them uncomfortable, sometimes makes them livid, is to say, I believe in the living Jesus Christ. 
is to say that I believe the resurrection is not some nice idea to base a holy life on, but was a space-time occurrence that happened. Jesus died on a cross, and they took his dead body off the cross, and they put his dead body in a tomb, and a few days afterwards, his living body walked out of it. Because after any amount of time talking to someone about Christianity, those nitty-gritty details will come out. And when they do, then you start to get some looks. Then you start to get some responses. Wait, you believe that? What kind of a foolish story is that? Yet this story changed the world, and this story changes our worlds, doesn't it? Something happened to us, and sometimes we can't even adequately explain it. Our life group recently finished a DVD series based off of Tim Keller's book of the same name called The Reason for God. And in the series, Keller meets with about eight non-Christians over six sessions to discuss common objections to Christianity. As he engages with the group's questions and statements, and as the group engages with each other, Keller begins to demonstrate ways of asking good questions when these objections are brought up about Christianity. He also begins to demonstrate that belief in Christ is something that involves both the heart and the head. And sometimes we can be afraid or have difficulty with the latter. Now, don't get me wrong. I think it's very important that we be intellectual, to study the Bible, to learn more about God. Do that. Please, that is a very good thing to do. Come to Sunday school, 9 a.m. before the service begins. It's a great time of just being together and getting into God's word and going a little deeper sometimes together and learning with each other. It's good to share ideas and theories. It's good to talk about Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, to discuss theology with each other in all of its aspects. But sometimes, let's be honest, that's very hard to do. We feel like we're in deep waters right off the bat and we can't get out. Or we listen to someone talk about God and the Bible and we feel intimidated or we feel insecure. We come away saying things like, I love Jesus, but I don't get a lot of this Bible stuff. Or I love God, but I wish I understood Jesus or the Holy Spirit better. Or I I love Jesus, but I don't think I'm, and you just fill in the blank there, don't we? I want to share something with you that I hope is freeing this morning. First of all, you are not alone. I often feel the same way. I would say many here probably do as well. It's one reason why we're meant to do this Christian thing in community. I heard a pastor this past week, one who's been doing this ministry thing thing far longer than I have, one who gets to preach to, to congregations far larger than I do. He declared, I see in part, I hear in part, and I speak in part. And I really, really appreciated that. Amen. We need each other. I hope you find that a little bit freeing this morning. And I hope that this is too. Where knowledge or wisdom of God is concerned, the Bible paints it as something you do more than something you know. 
Our passage this morning does the same. I think that's why Christianity exploded the way it did. It didn't begin by people sequestering themselves away to perfect theology for the ages, although I'm very grateful for the men and women who have and who do. But it started by people simply loving Jesus and loving the people around them. It started with people living in a way that reflected what it meant to be righteous and holy because they have been redeemed. You don't need to be an expert in anything to be able to live like that. You don't have to have letters after your name to be able to live like that. You don't need to be top of your field or the best at your craft or the smartest among your peers to be able to live like that. Praise God. And so many of the stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament involve people who are unassuming, insignificant on paper, weak in the eyes of the world. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things of this world And the things that are not to nullify, that is to abandon, to reverse the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Wisdom comes from knowing Christ and obeying his words. People who are living out their identity as righteous, holy, and redeemed. It may seem weak to the world, but it is strong in Christ. Now, we are about to celebrate God at his weakest, in the manger. We use words to describe Christ that would never be associated with God. Words like vulnerable, dependent, meek, and mild. Yet, this baby grows up. And this baby grows into a man, and he preaches, and he teaches, and he heals, and through him we learn true wisdom. The Bible says that it is because of God that we are in Christ Jesus. That is, when we submit to him and live for him, his presence is with us now and always. And it also says that Jesus has become for us the wisdom of God. The writer of Hebrews says Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And as such, he is then for us true wisdom. In him, we find what biblical wisdom has always been pointing towards, loving God in reverence and obedience. Paul uses three words in this passage to flesh out what this looks like in Christ, righteousness, holiness, and redemption. True wisdom is righteousness, to be made right with God. Whether right at the beginning or in our walk with Jesus, deciding to follow him is often incredibly hard because it is working against not only our worldly desires, but against our worldly intellect. And again, I'm not advocating that Christianity is for simple-minded people, but there is a reason, I believe, that children are often referred to when it comes to faith, and we hear about it in the Bible. A child has a brain... That is always working, and it's learning, 
and it needs to be nourished, and it needs to be cultivated. But a child also has wonder. A child readily believes. And a child can accept certain information without all of the facts. Let me give you an example. I remember when Caleb, at around two years of age, figured out with incredible wonder how a shadow is made. And he didn't understand all the facts about it. He didn't understand exactly what the sun was or how light traveled to earth or how our eyes work with our brains to perceive what we are seeing. He had four words that he was working with. Sunshine, window, blocked, shadow. Our friends Jesse and Christine were teaching him about how a shadow is made. And Jesse was explaining to him when the sunshine comes through the window and it's blocked by something, it creates a shadow. This was the most incredible thing Caleb had ever learned and he wouldn't stop talking about it. He just, anybody that was there, he'd be like, sunshine, window, blocked, shadow. But just that glimpse, just that that smidgen That little piece of reality was all he needed. That was gospel truth, and he loved to talk about it. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we don't understand all there is about him in that moment. That would be impossible. Can you imagine if there was an entrance exam to become a Christian? Just imagine that. We answer the call to Christ. The Spirit moves us, and we are on our knees, and the tears are streaming down our face, and we say, I believe. And Jesus says, that is wonderful, but first I'm going to need you to write a 5,000-word essay on the theological significance of substitutionary atonement and its place within the greater matrix of Christology, soteriology, and its ecclesiastical outcomes. Yeah, what? I used some of those words, I think, when I was at Regent, but just where I knew they sounded good. (laughs) Kirk, how about you? (laughs) Rather, when we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, something immediate takes place. The knowledge that our sins are dealt with hits us. His Spirit comes to dwell in us, and we are empowered by Him to live out our identity, our identity as right with God. We begin a lifelong adventure of learning and experience that is never fully accomplished until the day that we are physically in his presence. But any journey begins with first steps, and those steps are to be ones that follow the steps of Christ, his words, and his example. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. Jesus says, anything short of that is a false understanding of what it means to be a Christian. A light to righteousness is holiness. The wisdom of God that Jesus shows us is holiness. We live as ones set apart for God. Now, I'm very excited for December 3rd. I was just talking to somebody this morning about it. I was talking with Stacy about it. I'm very excited for December 3rd because that is the beginning of Advent, the first of the four Sundays that lead to Christmas. And that means on December 3rd, 
I get to break out my Christmas jammies. <laughs> I love my Christmas jammy jams. They're fleecy, and they're warm, and the colors are festive, and they're bright. But they are Christmas jammies. They are set apart for that season alone. Can you tell we're having issues about when we decorate the house and when we wear Christmas pajamas and things like that? I don't mean to bring that into this. Forgive me. Love you. We, let's let's stick with the analogy here. We, we have been set apart for Christ to be his ambassadors, to be his representatives. Every aspect of our lives is to reflect this from thoughts to words to actions. And through this reflection comes a fullness of life, a fullness of life that is absent if we set apart ourselves for anything else that we can think of. It is wisdom to live holy. Sometimes though, when we think holy, we think holy, right? I'm living holy, how about you? Let us remember that to live holy is to live in a way that is serving. Holy living is never looking down on someone. Rather, holy living is always looking up at someone as we wash their proverbial feet. Amen? To be holy is to be set apart for God, for his purposes, for his praise and glory above all else. And the wisdom that comes from righteousness and holiness is made possible by our redemption. Here is the good news. The foolishness of the cross is just that until you experience its power. The entire story, Jesus' birth, his miracles and healings, his teachings and his sayings, his actions, all of it may seem worn or quaint or simply unbelievable. Unbelievable until we experience it ourselves until we experience Jesus, until we get just a glimpse of the reality of the cross, until we perceive even a smidgen of the wonder of Christ's sacrifice for our faults, our sins, our shortcomings that separated us from God, until we have just a piece of the realization that he calls us to be in his presence, and that is all we need to start. Sunshine, window, blocked, shadow, Jesus, cross, forgiven, redemption. This kind of wisdom may look weak to the world, but it is strong in Christ. And so are we. If I was to try and think of an implication from this to share, I think it would be to live out of this way where we recognize that we are, we have been called righteous, we have been called right with God, we have been called holy, and we have been called redeemed, and to live out in a way that reflects that, that acknowledges that, that receives that. I was reminded this past week how incredibly strong we are in Christ despite our weaknesses. This past week, I saw a friend who was, I'm sure, a mixture of feeling foolish, weak, lowly, and despised, yet dared to share 
their feelings, dared to share their fears, their shortcomings, and their desperation to be set free from all of that. I saw someone weak in the world, weak in body, mind, and soul. And yet I saw my friend have the strength to reach out to a community of Christian friends and say, I am broken. The only way that happened, I am convinced, was through the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit within them. Weak in the world, but strong in Christ. And as a result, I saw this community of Christians surround my friend with prayer, share in their tears, and read and sing scripture over them. That was beautiful. And what took place was all kinds of things. There was vulnerability that led to healing because it was brought to light. There was spiritual warfare that led to deliverance. There was transparency that led to awareness and a hard, of a hard situation, but also the beginning of practical planning to solve it. And all week we've been following up with this friend by texting prayer and scripture to encourage and strengthen them. And I can tell you that the worldly answers to my friend's problem would have likely been vastly different than ours. It would have consisted of a lot more action perhaps, but likely a lot more animosity too. I mean, let's be honest, let's pray is not often the first line of action or defense that we would like to go to. Well, hopefully it is, but I know for me, often it's not. I want to do other things instead. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And what may have looked like weakness was strength in Christ, and that was powerful to behold. I think that's the implication for us. I think that's what we do. We recognize that in us, and we dare to live that way through the power of Christ. Worship team, do you want to come back up? Be encouraged, church. To those who see themselves this morning as the foolish or the weak or the lowly or the despised, I hope you'll receive this message today. Take hope that even in the most senseless, infuriating, or hopeless circumstances that make no earthly sense at all, it can still be used by God to proclaim His power, His love, his justice, his mercy, the list goes on and on. And certainly, a man lying dead on a cross screamed of finality, spoke clearly of an ending, and yet it wasn't. Christ's death and resurrection was a continuation of what his entire life had proclaimed, that God has drawn near to us to bring us into his presence. And nothing in this world can stop that. He continues to proclaim that today through his word, through his church, through the spirit working through the seemingly foolish, weak, lowly, and despised. Hallelujah. And through him, we are made right. And through him, we are set apart, righteous and holy before God because we have been redeemed. 
No matter what it may look like to the world, in this we can boast. And we should boast about that loudly. Amen? Weak in the world indeed, but strong in Christ. Amen. Bless you.